I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the coronavirus logic and scams. Heritage Foundation's Hans von Spakovsky joins me to talk about the DOJ, FISA, Russians, Electoral College, Remain in Mexico policy, as many things as we can get in during our time with him. And coronavirus, progress and recoveries, and finally, just a touch about St. Patrick's Day. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis and happy St. Patrick's Day. President Trump gave a speech, he's given many, many speeches and press conferences in the last few days. One of the things he did yesterday was to announce coronavirus kind of standing, they weren't, it was not an order or a mandate, but standing guidelines, expectations. I have them up at our website, americacanwetalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. I wanted to mention them because there was so much coronavirus, fear mongering, hysteria, uh, doomsday talk about it's all over, it's too late, everything's sunk, and this is not true. We, have, we are facing a crisis in our country. We have the best minds in America, which means the best minds in the world working on it. We have the Trump administration taking all sorts of steps and America, the American people can be very helpful. And we are, for the most part, Americans are going along with what the government's suggesting in terms of how to handle the crisis. These are very basic things that you would know if you pay attention to any media at all. You know, things like washing your hands more frequently and using uh, hand sanitizer. The idea of people who are especially vulnerable, either because of their age or some pre-existing health condition, need to be more cautious, try to stay home. People who have, if you're out and about, try to maintain social distance, don't be touching hands, don't be shaking hands, don't be as close, stand as close to people as you might normally have done. Very common sense, very simple, not confusing, but wise suggestions put out by our government. And again, they're on our website. But the point is, there is so much work being done on this. There is so much effort being made to fight this coronavirus and yet among some quarters in America, so much effort to frighten the people, scare the people into making bad decisions. I wanna mention two quick scams. I know we talked about in the show a couple of days ago, some of the scams. Uh, One is, this was a huge one. In fact, a good friend of mine sent me a text message with a link to a long story. It had run on Reuters and then Guardian and other left-wing sources that claimed that President Trump had tried to buy out all of the vaccines from some German company that is producing them. And this whole president claim was that President Trump is trying to claim a monopoly on the COVID-19 vaccine. It was for the vaccine, actually, not the test kits, for the vaccine that Trump had acted internationally trying to get corner of the market on some German company and making sure that only America got a hold of the COVID-19 vaccines. Reuters ran with this story, other news outlets dutifully, uh, dutifully followed it, and Reuters actually went back and changed their story because it turns out that was not true. President Trump did not do. In fact, when my friend texted me, I texted back, I said, number one, if you are a company manufacturing an effective vaccine, 
I don't think you're going to agree with anybody to only sell it to one country. And number two, I actually don't think President Trump would do that. I think he'd be encouraging them to develop it and maybe we want to buy it. But that story ran and not only did it create uh, false and fake news running around the world, but secondly, it assisted the leftists in this country who work at every all day, all night, 24-7, trying to find ways to demean, undermine, delegitimize, criticize, and build up hate against the president simply because they don't like that he won the election and they didn't. So that story, to be clear, is not true. President Trump did not try to corner the market in the COVID-19 vaccine, that being the disease, the COVID-19 being the disease, that the name of the disease, that you uh, develop when you, ha- you uh, come in contact with a coronavirus. And so the vaccine, uh, p- and people, co- companies around the world, including in America, are working on the vaccine. I'm sure we'll get one that's going to be great. But the main po- the point of today's first five is one lie or scam against the American people. Last quick thing before I turn to our guest. In Los Angeles, the uh, immigration authorities located a large container of fake coronavirus testing kits. These were seized at the Los Angeles airport. Federal authorities warning consumers on Saturday about fake home testing kits for the coronavirus after customs agents intercepted a package at Los Angeles International Airport with vials labeled as COVID-19 test kits, but they weren't. They were just fake. So as I talked about a couple days ago in this show, If you feel like you need to get tested, don't go online and order something from some online source. Don't believe anyone who sends you an email urging you to send in your credit card information and your personal information. They'll send you a test kit. A lot of scammers really uh, not just not just pathetic and wrong, but truly evil taking advantage of a crisis and the crisis mindset in our country at this time with so many people deeply worried about the coronavirus. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I mentioned when we started today, we're going to have a guest joining us. He joined us, he has joined us in the past on America Can We Talk. His name is Hans von Spakovsky. He is located in the Washington, D.C. area. He is with the Heritage Foundation. He is the head of their election law reform initiative. He's also a senior legal fellow. He's an expert on uh, just an authority who is quoted on all sorts of news outlets uh, around the country for uh, regularly, an expert on issues involving civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, and immigration. And so I told him in my email today before we got started that I had more topics than time with him. So I want to race through and ask him a bunch of questions uh, about really about many of the issues we're going to be talking about today, but especially I want to focus on with him uh, FISA, the Department of Justice, Electoral College, Russians, um, and the Remain in Mexico policy. So I believe we have Hans von Spakavi joining us. Hello, sir. Hey, hi, Debbie. How are you doing? I'm very well, and I'm glad to see you. Looking good. Glad to see you're you're out and about. Um, well, I want to jump in. You did a, a piece. I want to start with the uh, story that was kind of making the rounds in the last couple of days. The smallest bit of background for our listeners was that you remember back when the uh, Trump administration was being heavily investigated by the FBI Department of Justice. We had the Mueller investigation, and as it rolled on, Robert Mueller announced indictments of some Russian entities and these people he alleged were involved with trying to sway America's election in 2016. No connection between these Russians he indicted and the Trump team, but it got him headlines with the words Russia and 
and, and you know, Mueller in the same sentence. And so it made it look like he was doing something. In any case, uh, news out today or yesterday was that, that it turns out that the uh, DOJ is going to uh, step back from those, asking to withdraw those charges um, against the, the Russians. So I know Hans von Spakovsky, you followed this whole Mueller investigation at great length. So what are your thoughts about this? The DOJ dropping the uh, Rosenstein and Mueller's nonsense case against the Russian companies? Well, I think it shows the weakness of the Department of Justice's case. Um, look, the indictments were of specific Russian individuals who were basically trolling on, on uh, social media, but they also uh, indicted uh, a company, a company that they said was helping to finance it. The, the company, Concord, is the only company that actually showed up in an American, class, uh, American courtroom to defend the case. Uh, and the Justice Department has just dismissed the case with prejudice, which means they can't bring it again. And I think that may show the weakness of the case. Um, look, the, the one thing I would tell you that has disturbed me about all of this is that this constant talk that the Russians interfered in the 2016 election. If you, re re if you read the indictments that were filed by the Mueller team, and I did that, um, Anybody who thinks that they were able to somehow successfully interfere with that election, uh, that is just not the case. The, most of the uh, social media uh, tweets and other things that these uh, Russians put out had nothing to do with the election. It had to do with trying to get people upset over racial and other issues. And it's the same kind of disinformation campaign that the Soviets, when, when Russia was on the communists, engaged in during the entire Cold War. And the amount of money that was supposedly spent, even if you take everything to be true that was the indictments, was a tiny fraction of, of the amount of money that the political parties and the candidates spent in the 2016 election. So anybody who thinks this had any effect on the election, I think is, is just not uh, uh, looking at reality. I'm so glad you made both of those points, great points. On the disinformation idea, this is something, right. as you allude to, historically, this is what the Russians would do, and it wouldn't necessarily have been to support one candidate or the other, but just to kind of create uh, civil unrest in our country. Is that accurate? Yes, that's exactly right. And in fact, um, there was one of the indictments that talked about how uh, they sent out um, tweets and uh, encouraging supporters of Donald Trump to go to a protest uh, in New York City at the very same time they were sending out tweets telling people to go to a protest uh, supporting Hillary Clinton and protesting against Donald Trump. And that shows how they re really were just trying to create civil unrest and not necessarily help one candidate or another. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm so glad you made both those points. And also just, I don't know the exact money involved, but it was a, an amateur operation by the Russians. It wasn't a big, you know, we're going to change everything. It's astonishing, though, that we're at this point now, we're now in 2020, we're headed toward the next presidential election, and only now is the DOJ looking at this going forward and saying, actually, as a matter of fact, we want to dismiss this complaint. So last uh, thought on this, why do you think now the DOJ is moving to withdraw this complaint against these Russians? Well, because they were going to very soon have to put up or shut up um, yeah. 
trial trial was going to start in the very near future and if they were going to dismiss the case they were going to have to do it now before they actually got to trial and then had to actually start producing whatever evidence the Mueller team thought it had to support the case. So there's yeah, the facing the uh, whatever the rubber meets the road reality check. We have we have nothing to show here. Love it. Okay. So the next topic I want to hit with you. Um, you know we've talked about this before. I think in this uh, I don't know if you and I have talked about this in a show, but certainly with others I uh, have the Remain in Mexico policy. And I want to yeah, this is President Trump's initiative. I want to have you tell our listeners this was a Trump initiative, basically saying people showing up at the southern border who want to come into America and then make application for asylum, that they have to wait in Mexico. And so I want to start with, what is the, because you wrote a great piece about it at Heritage, and again, for our listeners, everything we're talking about, you can read these on my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, dropped on a list of links. We have linked to what Hans wrote about this. But what was the legitimate reason for the Trump administration to uh, put out the Remain in Mexico policy? What's the goal? Well, it was to end the catch and release policy, because as you know, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, ICE, only has a certain number of spaces where they can detain people. And once they reach that limit, uh, any, any more illegal aliens coming across the border, uh, all they would do is process them, give them a date to appear for an immigration hearing at some point in the future, and then release them. And what would these illegal aliens do? They would disappear into the vast interior of the country and most of them would not show up for their immigration hearing why would they when they know they're not actually eligible to be in the u.s so the president actually took advantage of a federal statute he was not acting on his own there's a federal uh, immigration statute that allows the executive branch uh, to tell individuals who come across one of our land borders who then claim asylum to, re, to be returned back to the country they came from and remain there while their asylum claim is being looked at. This helped return 60,000 illegal aliens to Mexico uh, last year. And this is a good thing because, in fact, uh, statistics from the Department of Homeland Security show that nine out of 10 asylum claims are fraudulent claims. They're not real claims. They're just claims made so the aliens can try to stay in the United States. I completely believe that. We've actually been on this uh, over on the show many times about what is the standard you have to show, the reasons provided in federal law that you can actually gain asylum, gain the legal status of being granted asylum. It's not just because you're poor and domestic violence is not one of them. There are very specific reasons and people coming here yeah, they know a lot of them aren't going to meet us. So they actually don't want to have that hearing because they're going to be told, sorry, you don't meet our, our law, our standard, right? That's, yes. No, no, you're yeah. absolutely right about that. But this, this was a very important policy. And what had happened recently was that um, a, the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, as most people know, that's the one of the most liberal appeals court in the country, also one of the most overturned appeals courts in the country, they had upheld an injunction that said that the uh, Trump administration could not uh, put this policy in effect, couldn't leave it in effect. Fortunately, about a week ago, the U.S. Supreme Court acted and stayed that injunction. So the policy currently is in effect. So they stayed the injunction, meaning the policy is in effect, but the Supreme Court has not yet ruled on the substantive question of That's whether exactly the. Yeah. 
Yes. Go ahead. But but in the meantime, it stays in effect, which is very very important because yeah. uh, that also acted as a disincentive for even more illegal aliens to cross the border, and it's very clear that it's had that effect. You know what else, Hans? It's amazing how it segues to this current uh, crisis involving the coronavirus. And I don't right. know if you saw these stories. I, I don't. I don't know if I sent them to you, but it's the most amazing thing in Mexico. They have their president and uh, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador. He has been out in public since everyone's aware of the coronavirus. Everyone understands it's being spread by handshakes. There are pictures. In fact, one picture I think is on our website of him greeting the people and he's running down. It's like a path for him to run. Fans or supporters lined up on both sides, just like. Uh, athletes will do, and he's doing high fives and hitting all of them, smacking hands with hundreds of Mexican citizens. And he said he wasn't going to stop hugging them uh, and hand slapping with them because he didn't want them to be fearful. That was his reason given. He didn't want them to be fearful. So you now have the Remain in Mexico policy serving the additional purpose of keeping people out of our country, where right. you have the government itself not really going along with what we're trying to do in this country in order to keep Americans safe. No, that's that's very true, that Mexico does not seem to be taking the steps that the United States and frankly other countries are taking to try to contain uh, this virus. And as you know, uh, again, showing how uh, some liberal groups think, you know, there's been a lawsuit filed uh, to Well, sounds like we lost that connection. I'm sure Matt, the very wonderful, is going to try to get that again. I do want to hear what the lawsuit is, but in the meantime, to understand, folks, where we are with this coronavirus thing, in Mexico, here people are complaining in our country because we didn't do enough, didn't do enough fast enough. We're going to get to that. But you have in Mexico the president, he first was out saying, we hug in Mexico, hugging people, hand slapping, and then, then in some inter interim period, he said, well, you know, okay, we'd be a little bit more careful. You know, we should be more careful. And then he said just again yesterday, I'm not going to stop. He said, I am keeping up his term, his words. I must keep up people's spirits. So he's defending holding these large rallies during the coronavirus crisis. So here you have the president of Mexico uh, not helping, which is interesting because this remain in Mexico policy we were just talking about with Hans, whom I'm sure Matt is trying, yeah, trying to get him again, um, you have the president of Mexico actually making Remain in Mexico a really wise policy, both with respect to protecting against the coronavirus, as well as, of course, making more orderly process for our immigration folks here. So uh, I, I guess Matt is trying. I'll tell you what I, I'm going to tell you what I want to also ask Hans about. And then if we uh, can't get him back, um, then I'll just tell you myself. But he also he Hans has been talking in the media quite a bit about where we are in terms of the FISA court. This uh, Department of Justice, you recall, the FISA court was being used by the FBI, the DOJ, to get warrants to spy on the Trump campaign. This was going on at not just, you know, an occasionally uh, falsely, uh, a warrant obtained on false premises. There's four different FISA court warrants, all based on political hit job research paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign, but then by the DNC, used as the basis, used as the basis to get these warrants. And then those warrants were 
the government officially using those warrants to spy on the Trump team. And now the question is, here we are in March of 2020, and we have the uh, some people arguing, can we just kind of let it go? Okay, you know, we, the, it was a bad thing. We're done with that. And Hans has been very strong in saying, we need to have the people who are either agents or lawyers, FBI, DOJ, whoever they are, who actually committed crimes held accountable for those crimes. He's been very active in advocating this. I wanted to talk about that topic with him. So we're not getting him. No, we're not getting him. You know what? I, I don't know what's going on there. He's in Washington today, Hans is. We were uh, talking earlier today, uh, and Hans was at Heritage. At, uh, he works for Heritage Foundation, was there part of the day, home part of the day, and I guess we've just lost a signal. So I'm going to finish out what else, the last thing I want to tell you about him. He is a great expert. I'm very sorry to have lost in the middle of our interview, but um, he's been really strong in saying, our side, the conservatives need to stand up for and insist on trying to bring justice uh, to, really to the American citizens, to the Trump team, to the Trump supporters, that you can't have one arm of our federal government, law enforcement, the, the DOJ and the FBI, using their power based entirely on a hit piece done on Donald Trump by his political opponent, paid for by the opposing political party, and then use that to get warrants and spy on the Trump team, really, truly cook up out of whole cloth, out of nothing, the entire Trump-Russia collusion. We all had to watch it. And now we're at the point of how strongly, how firmly uh, are we going to insist on both prosecutions of wrongdoers and also a redoing of the law, the FISA law that Congress could redo, could re uh, redefine, reshape, in order to make the FISA court more accountable. That's an ongoing dispute in Washington. I guess we're not gonna get Hans back, that's okay. Last thing is he's been on, and we'll save it for another day, which is the Electoral College, and we are getting close. This NPV, National um, Popular Vote, NPV, National Popular Vote, is the effort of leftists to destroy the Electoral College and to have the next election, 2020, be a flat out popular vote Many reasons why this is truly undermining of our country, of our entire system of government. It was written into the Constitution. The Electoral College is written in for very specific reasons by our founders to prevent having basically the two or three most populous cities or states choosing the president and the whole rest of the country with no say. That was why the uh, Electoral College was put in place. We'll have to get back with Hans another time on that topic, but love having him on. Um, and that, I guess, we're done with him for today. Okay, last thing I want to hit then, uh, three, two last stories. One is, on, again, the coronavirus on progress and recoveries. I'm going to tell you, folks, the coronavirus thing, there are, there's so much hysteria out there, so much um, upset, and I understand and agree that it's a serious disease. It is not something we should take lightly. It is not something we should just be marching out life as usual and have a handshaking party with every stranger we meet. That is not what we're going to do. But we also have so much acrimony in this country, so much hatred of President Trump, so much determination to use anything that occurs, anything that occurs, as a basis to attack 
the president. And this is what is happening with the coronavirus. We're going to have on the show on Thursday uh, of this week, we're going to have a, a gentleman who's going to give us much more detail uh, from a strategy point of view about political warfare uh, that is engaged in by the left and how the left is using the coronavirus as political warfare. It's important to understand it and label it that. This is not just the left trying to take cheap shots because they got a chance to do it. But I want to share with you on coronavirus some, some steps of progress. First of all, even the World Health Organization, which is, of course, concerned about the spread, keeping track of data, you know, sharing data, letting people know what's happening. The World Health Organization put out information for the world to understand that in this entire planet, the entire planet Earth, well over 7 billion people, I should have looked up the exact number, well over 7 billion people, uh, we have 127,000 cases of coronavirus in the entire world. And of those, that these are known outbreaks, so there may be more undiagnosed, fair enough, maybe more. But how many do you think are, how many cases of coronavirus do you think that have been diagnosed which involve people who have completely recovered, got over it like a bad flu. In fact, the one the stories we talked about a couple of weeks ago or so, um, it's, it's 7.8 billion people in the world. And so we have 127,000 cases and the coronavirus is you know, spreading or has been spreading and people are alarmed, but I wanna spread this number the World Health Organization put out. Of the 127, thousand cases in the world, over 70,000, over 70,000 cases are people who've completely recovered. And I think it's important to put that information out, not to put it out for the purpose of saying, hey, it's no big deal, just like having a cold, because it seems to be far more contagious to be spreading more easily. I'm not advocating ignoring it. I am wanting to provide a balance of information against what the left puts out, which is endless fear-mongering, endless finger-pointing, fear-mongering, anger, you know, denouncement. And we're going to talk also on Thursday. I'm going to run through on Thursday with you a litany of the lies the left has put out that the media repeats people, the uh, experts who are just Facebook people who were last week experts on immigration policy. The week before they were experts on tax policy and now they're experts on coronavirus and they're just people sitting home in front of their computer grousing and trying to make the claim that coronavirus is just uh, you know, out of control, we're all gonna die. It's important to understand good news too. Yes, we've had deaths from coronavirus, and I'm very sorry. I don't want anyone to pass on. I understand. I don't want people to die of coronavirus or anything else for that matter. But 70,000 people out of 127,000 have had a full recovery from coronavirus. So that means the stories that we've had in America, like I shared or around the world, I shared with you, I think, last week. For example, the gentleman in Denmark, the country of Denmark, who said he'd gone down to northern Italy, where the problem is huge. I'll talk about that in a moment. Why? Problem in northern Italy was really bad. He went back to Denmark, started not feel well, got tested, had coronavirus. He said, I've had colds that felt worse. I've had flus where I felt more sick. And he was in his mid-40s. 
And he said, I'm fine. I, I'm, you know, I'm all better. The point is to recognize that this is a flu virus and we'll ultimately get to the question of how it got released in China, what level of wrongdoing we contribute to China for the release of the coronavirus and for the failure to share the information. But 70,000 people have recovered. There are wonderful stories all over this country. People just saying, hey, wait, before we all get too carried away, I was diagnosed. Uh, yes, I had these symptoms. Yes, I was uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it very much. Um, but, but I got over it. I got over it like I got the flu. Three or four days in bed and I'm, you know, I'm done. The point is people do get better. They recover. We need, to, we have this in some quarters on the left in our country and, and really maybe on the right too, but we have people just so determined, you know, this is it, the world's gonna end, this is the death of all of us, you know, we're all doomed attitude. We need to not have that. Part of fighting coronavirus is fighting the panic, is fighting the unjustified panic, fighting the unjustified fear. So I want to share that number, 70,000 already in the world had recovered. In fact, you know what? It was an update. I'm sorry, I printed this story out. An update by Johns Hopkins that now 73,000, more than 73,000 people in this world have recovered from the coronavirus. So people do recover. We still should be careful. We don't try to spread it. We're careful to try to avoid spreading it and all the hand washing and social distance. But we need to have a bit of calm. Next point I want to make. Um, that about this is kind of good news coming out of coronavirus, um, and that um, and that was that the uh, uh, the country of South Korea, South Korea, you know, not the communist country, the actual free country that acts like more like America, South Korea put in place the kind of same policies we're putting in place in America to stem the spread, to stem the spread. They were having a problem too in South Korea. And I, I want to tell you guys, by the way, before, I'm sure and share before I get off this topic. Um, I'm, in fact, I'll tell you right now, the reason in northern Italy that the coronavirus became so extreme, became such a problem, was that it's the fashion industry, which is headquartered in Milan in northern Italy, and many Chinese workers work in the fashion industry. They go back and forth to China, regular travel, before the coronavirus was understood. So they're carrying the virus back and forth, picking it up in China, taking it Northern Italy. That's how it spread there. And this is not to blame any person, but just to say there are reasons for these kind of particular concentrations. In South Korea, they were having a big problem. But the great news the South Korean president put out is that they have really turned the corner in South Korea. I mean, you know, yes, we have to be cautious and do all follow the precautions we're being told to follow and all of that. Uh, but South Korea is saying basically uh, they have they reported that coronavirus virus recoveries, people getting over coronavirus in South Korea, are now outpacing new cases. They have more people announcing they they've recovered than the number of new cases, putting in place policies just like we have in America. We need to resist panic. It is vital that we resist panic. Last kind of good news coming out of this coronavirus, and I obviously I would never want to say, oh, great news, we have coronavirus, but it is allowing some changes to be made in our society. 
prompting some changes to be made in our society. One is growing understanding that we need to bring back the manufacture of medications to America. Currently, and we talk about this in the show, in fact, if you look through in our YouTube channel, wherever you look at the, watch this show, you can go back, especially on YouTube, it's easy to find our past interviews. We had an interview with Rosemary Gibson. She's the author of a book called China RX. It basically laid out her research showing that the large percentage of medicines we use in America, like when you show up at the emergency room or your doctor's office or your pharmacy, the medication you are given is overwhelmingly likely to have come from China. China deliberately captured the pharmaceutical manufacturing segment of the world's economy, deliberately set out decades ago to basically undercut American pharmaceutical and other pharmaceutical companies in this world set out to make the, um, instead of making the, the it, some real manufacturing by our pharmaceutical companies was occurring there, but China began making generics and China began pricing those generics really low, assigning low prices. So obviously people in need of medications, especially vast quantities, you can buy generics from China, and it's a far better deal to you than if you are buying the, uh, the medications that is more expensive for pharmaceutical companies to have to manufacture. So China deliberately undercut America's pharmaceutical companies. China controls, creates, manufactures, is like over 90% of the, of the antibiotics we use in our country, well over 80% of all medications, and when you, we have had problems in this country already, even before the coronavirus, with medications coming from China that were in some way tainted. We're, did, they don't follow the kind of protocols we follow in America, both with respect to inspections of those facilities uh, by the government, you know, health and safety standards, it's just not the same in China. So in America, one reaction to coronavirus, recognizing we don't really want to be dependent long-term anymore on medications made in China, is we have both the president beginning, he's supposedly going to issue an executive order related to trying to bring back the manufacture of medications to America. And second, there's a bill introduced in the United States Senate by Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn. And actually, this was a... Um, this was a bipartisan effort. She did the bill along with Bob Menendez, Democrat of New Jersey, and they've introduced a bill called Securing America's Medicine Cabinet. Okay, that's kind of a cute name. I like that. Securing America's Medicine Cabinet, SAMC. But there are basically various provisions in their bill trying to push manufacture of medications back to America. And, that, and one other point I want to make about that before I hit my last topic. We have in America benefited from the fact that we have foreign manufacture, not just of medications, of medications, medical equipment, toys, uh, all sorts of our electronic gadgets, televisions and phones and computers, everything we need in everyday life, much of it is manufactured in China. And the reason is because it costs less to make things over there because people are paid less than to make them in America. Part of the adjustment going forward in America in trying to bring back to our country the manufacture of vital things like medications and maybe other things too, is going to have to be an adjustment that is kind of, a uh, the ripples will go countrywide, 
consumers will feel them. If you start having non-generics, actual manufacture of drugs that are not generics by pharmaceutical companies, and even the manufacture of generics once uh, the time has elapsed after the, the, man, the company that actually created the uh, medication, they have some patent on it for a certain number of years. When you have generics coming out, ultimately, we may find that in America, we'll have to pay more for medications. We just may have to do that. We may have to figure out where, what, how much we value having medications manufactured here. We may have to have Congress deciding how much more is, should federal tax dollars be used to support the research into development of new medications. Because the reason medications cost so much is because we have many regulations in our country related to before pharmaceutical companies can introduce a new drug in the market, they have to go through a lengthy series of tests and examination by our federal government. And that's, you know, a good thing. I mean, mostly you want to have thorough testing before you're releasing new drugs into the market. But pharmaceutical companies point out they spend a lot of money in development, research and development. They may spend money in research and development and conclude, and they're testing that whatever they develop doesn't even work or doesn't work well enough. Other drugs do work well enough. So then they spent all that money. The way they recover the money they spend is by the price they charge for their medications. And I'm getting around to saying that there will be arguments about, well, if we bring manufacturing of medications back to America and medications cost more because we're not having inexpensive Chinese labor making these medications, instead of American workers are making these medications, we're going to have arguments that talk about who exactly absorbs the cost of those increased medications. Is it just going to fall on consumers? Is it going to fall on the taxpayers through the government? Is the government going to help the manufacturers? And there will be all sorts of adjustments. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay. We have to have those conversations because the priority, in my view, the top priority is get the manufacture of vital medications back to America get control of the quality of them back to America and the access to them. And then we're going to have to work out what happens to how we absorb the additional cost of these, high, these more high quality medications manufactured by pharmaceuticals. The argument that Bernie Sanders of the world will make and the left will make as well, see, it's another argument for Medicare for all, another argument for socialized medicine. Let government control it all. We have to resist that. The last thing we need in this country is a government that controls the healthcare system and they control the manufacture of medications and the choice of who gets medications. Once the government is in charge of the healthcare system and in charge of the manufacture of medications, they are in charge of rationing. They're in charge of who gets them. They're in charge. They, it, it just, it will make medications more expensive the more government gets in the middle of owning the manufacture of those medications. It's a complex economic issue. I may get some expert in the show at some point to talk about it. I want to just say at this time in the middle of the coronavirus, we need to bring, it's a great time to wake America up to the idea we need to bring manufactured medications back to America. We need to deal with the increased cost. Perhaps we need to have different levels of approval that you can get from the FDA. Maybe the, maybe the approval process of the FDA is too lengthy, unnecessarily costly. Maybe there are changes that need to be made there. We'll, we'll have adjustments to be made. But the overarching concern of the 
American pharmaceutical companies manufacturing medications in America with our standards in place, our quality tests in place, our inspection facilities, our inspection of facilities in place, those kind of things are, will be one of the good outcomes from this very unfortunate coronavirus. Bring all of it back here. One last thing I want to hit today before we wrap up, and that is it's St. Patrick's Day. So I'm just going to say this about St. Patrick's Day. I saw a lot of headlines, and in fact, I saw a lot of Facebook posts by people lamenting that everything is closed. Here in Dallas, where I live, the bars are closed, the restaurants are closed uh, by force, uh, by requirement. You can drive through and get food to go, but you can't go in and you can't, you cannot go into, as many Americans are accustomed to doing on March 17th, into their favorite bar and drinking green beer for the evening. That's just not one of your options uh, this year. And so, you know, I was just going to say on St. Patrick's Day, um, I'm not even Irish, you know, our, our don't have that background, but I have many friends who are Irish, very much lamenting that this is not going to be the uh, St. Patrick's Day of the past, that all this, in fact, in fact, I meant to mention on St. Patrick's Day in Ireland, the bars are closed. Ireland canceled their St. Patrick's Day parade. So a lot of people around the world feeling kind of glum and disappointed about St. Patrick's Day, but you know what? There'll be one next year. Coronavirus, this too shall pass. It will be gone. We will, America will come back. The world will come back. We have to hang together. We have to be strong. We have to be unwilling to give in to doom and gloom. You'll have your St. Patrick's Day next year and many more years to follow. And tonight, maybe you can just stay home and text and email all your Irish friends and wish them happy St. Patrick's Day. Or as my sister-in-law is doing, cooking up a big Irish feast. She's Irish. A big Irish feast for her family. You know, you can have your fun. But the idea of the uh, missing St. Patrick's Day just this one year is hardly our biggest crisis. And that, my friends, is my show for today. You know, I do this show every day, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to try to bring the light to put a light on the news stories of the day the stories are shaping america today and in our future from the perspective of urging americans to realize what an extraordinary precious unique gift the country of america the idea of america is came from the founders but it is a precious gift to every one of us in every generation and this generation this is our turn to preserve this precious country, to look at the policies we face, the challenges we face from the perspective, it's our job to preserve the most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth, and that is America. And now, my friends, I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with, we talked about the coronavirus logic and scams. The real battle is against hysteria. Logical cautions from the White House which basically boiled down to act like an intelligent adult. Uh, practice social distancing, distancing, avoid crowds of more than 10. If especially senior or vulnerable, be especially cautious. Be alert, there are scams out there to beat the ban, disinformation proliferating, a shipment of fake test kits at LAX, and a lie that many in the media are repeating but to be clear, Trump is not trying to corner the market on vaccines. That was another lie put out by the left, spread by the left, to make people hate Donald Trump. This virus was not created by the federal government, and it won't be cured by the federal government. Life presents adversities. This should not be a shock to America. Government cannot end all adversity instantly. We need to all relearn that fact. Government cannot do that. 
Americans need to man up and woman up and get over this. This is a this is a certainty that we will get over this and we need to man up and expect we're going to get past this. On the next, Hans Bonspakovsky, um, silver lining amid a pandemic, open borders. <laughs> I meant to say this, I've had, too bad we didn't have Hans on longer. All these open borders people are kind of quiet right now. Did you notice that? Um, all these people who wanted to abandon the board, let them all in. They're kind of quiet right now as we are keeping Remain in Mexico and keeping America safe. Open borders advocates not looking good. Obama judges striking down Remain in Mexico policy not looking too good. Mexico looking to secure the U.S. border. Even Mexico has been talking about that. Whether illegals bring disease or anti-American attitudes, America's interest is served by a secure border and merit-based control of immigration. The FISA expiration and the reform debate, the deep state coup has not been fully exposed and accountability has not been imposed. FISA cannot continue without substantial reform. Confrontation with deep state criminality must occur if America is to survive under the rule of law. And coronavirus progress and recoveries, the U.S. government moving to restore pharmaceutical manufacturing to the U.S. is absolutely necessary, long overdue. Cases of recovery, oh, sorry, we got behind there. Cases of recovery from the coronavirus are occurring all over the world. Not dramatic, death-defying stories that are like any other recovery from a bad flu. Why does the American media ignore or underemphasize these stories? Americans get it, and they are thinking. The virus is real and not imagined. It is wise to be careful and to follow good hygiene. But is the hysteria and national shutdown that seems to be happening justified? Or is the hysteria manufactured? On St. Patrick's Day, the good old American, good old Americana is good for stirring the good old American spirit. No green scarves, no ties, no St. Patty's Day parades, and no green beer. We can still celebrate St. Patty's with Irish food at home, texts and emails with family and friends, and look forward to next year. This is not our biggest crisis. And my friends, that's America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in every, tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-